podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and today we have another special guest with us, Daniel Tolson. Daniel, welcome to the show. Kyle, thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. Uh, yeah, very, very excited to have you. Daniel is an internationally known business coach who has helped more than 15,000 businesses catapult their influence and accelerate their impact. And uh, with the goal to teach a million businesses, which uh, we'll probably have to talk some more about the million business goal because that is a, a lofty and exciting goal. But with that, Daniel, why don't you tell us more about yourself, what you're doing, and, and a little bit about your background? My clients come to me for three things. They come for influence, impact, and income. The first thing that they want is they want to catapult their influence, and they want to become more influential in the life of their community, which includes their customers. They also want to accelerate their impact. And a lot of my people say, Daniel, I don't want to wait 40 years to get the gold watch. My dad got his his gold watch at 60. I want it in my 20s and 30s. I want it now. And thirdly, they want to unleash new income levels. And one of my clients, he said, Daniel, you know, $5 billion is not enough in sales. And I was a little bit set back and I said, how do you mean? He said, well, on $5 billion of revenues, we've only been able to feed 2 million homeless people with the profits of the business. And I went, wow. And I said, so what do we need? And he said, we need to make more so we can feed more. So my clients, it's not just about driven by money for money's sake. It's about what we can do with this and how can we have a bigger impact? Because they know that their impact goals in their community are going to be very, very expensive. So they say, we're going to make these businesses profitable. We've got to get our people performing at their best so we can give back to the community. So my role as the coach is to help them get to those goals faster. So I help them accelerate their impact. And it's amazing to see what they do. One gentleman I started working with recently, he had a team of seven people and he was making no money. He was probably making less in wages than his employees were. And by the end of the year, by understanding how to be more influential, he started to unleash new income levels. And he sent me a message in January this year and he said, Daniel, I just made $1.16 million US dollars in January and I've got 17 employees and now I'm driving a Mercedes. So it happens really fast once they know how to get there. Wow. Uh, that is, that's really, really interesting. How did you get into the, the business coaching and you know, what kind of got you started on this path of basically helping other people increase their influence and their impact uh, on their community and in the work that they do? Grew up around business people. So my mother was a hairdresser and she owned a hair salon. My father was a farmer, and he had a farm, and they tend to just always struggle. And when we were growing up, um, they had a pawnbroking and secondhand business. And I always heard, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. You know, we're not rich. You know, we're not educated. You know, it's okay for them who work for the government. It's okay for them who are employed, but, you know, we're self-employed. And then I heard the stories, don't don't hire anybody because they'll just rip you off. They'll steal from you. They'll take your ideas and they'll start in competition. And so for many years, I heard that. And then I stepped in and I started to run my parents' business. And I went, wow, this 
place can make a ton of money if we just do a couple of little things differently. So I came in and I started to reinvent the business and um, gave it a new spark. There was new blood in and the sales increased, the money was flowing in. I added new products and services into the business and uh, really wanted to know what our customers wanted. So I realized that you could take a business and uh, just like a, a nice rose garden, you can you can grow it. And that was really exciting. And so I grew my own business at the same time and I had a uh, clothing company. And we're manufacturing clothing in China. Uh, I had 51 shops across Australia selling my goods. And then the internet came about and I was like, wow, why don't I sell on the internet? And before there was uh, Facebook, there was places like MySpace. <laughs> so we had MySpace pages and uh, we had an e-commerce store. And all of a sudden, I was making a ton of sales online. I went, why don't I take this traditional business and put it online as well? So I started to buy things in the business that I would have never have purchased before. And people used to bring in old Atari and the Nintendo games. And those didn't get a lot of money locally. But as I looked around eBay and on these uh, online websites, people were paying a fortune for these old games. So I remember a guy bought in this big black plastic bag of all these games. And I said, how much do you want for the games? And he's like, oh, whatever, like a buck each. And I said, yeah, I'll give you a dollar each. And there was about 80 games in there. And I remember some of those games I took from uh, what I would have sold them in the shop for, for about 5 to $10. And I started to sell those exact same games online for $120, $150 back in the early 2000s. And so I realized that the internet was going to be a big thing. So I started to put my business on the internet. I started to sell our products and services nationally and we're getting more money for them. So that was really exciting. It was a challenge. And so then in 2007, I actually um, made a couple of bad decisions. Um, I lost my business. Uh, I lost my career. Um, I went and started to uh, work and live in the Middle East. I had a job over there and it didn't work out. I came back to Australia. And because I'd walked away from our family business, the only job I could get was controlling traffic <laughs> on, on industrial sites. And I was doing that for six months whilst I was trying to go to university, but I'd had learning disabilities. And uh, after a semester in university, the lecturer said, Daniel, you need to go back to high school and learn the basics if you want to succeed in university. And um, it was like that accelerate thing. I'm like, I don't have the time. I don't, I can't go back to year 10, 11 and 12. Uh, I had learning disabilities. I couldn't pass it back then. I'm not going to be able to pass it now. I know my limitations. So uh, by 2008, uh, I'm controlling traffic. I'm working on construction sites. And then I said, you know what? Why don't I have a career for a while? Why don't I go get a job and I'll start a career? So I went and worked with Emirates Airline in Dubai and I was cabin crew and I ended up co-leading a team of 17,500 cabin crew, worked my way up through the ranks, got a great position in leadership. And then as things were going really good, uh, I got a telephone call. It was four o'clock in the morning. The voice on the other end of the phone says, uh, Daniel, there's been an aircraft accident. Uh, your wife's been involved and uh, you need to come to the hospital now. So straight down to the hospital. There she is in a, in a stretcher in a plaster cast from her ankle up to her hip. And she's fractured a knee in five places. So for the following two and a half years, she's um, in surgeries, three major knee reconstructions and rehabilitation. And then she loses her job. I walk away from my job because I had to make a choice. Do I stay here and work or do I see the birth of my daughter? Now, because my wife lost her job, she had to move from Dubai back to Taiwan and I didn't want to miss the birth of my daughter. So I resigned from my job and then we were out into the business world once again. 
that business didn't work for us. Um, we didn't know enough about what we were selling. And eventually, um, by the end of the year, we're on government assistance. We're on um, social security. So we went from the top in leadership all the way back down to the bottom. And I had to figure out this. I said to myself, there's got to be another million people like me out there who wake up in the morning feeling stuck and don't know what to do next. They've walked away from their careers. They want to live life on their terms. They want to be leaders. They want to leave a legacy. There's got to be more people like me. And if I can't figure it out, then I've got to figure it out. And why not teach other people how to do it? So I figured it out finally. Um, I was all the way to the bottom of the barrel. I was on social security. (laughs) And then I figured it out. I went, okay, this is what you do to build a business in the new world. And so uh, now I teach other people how to do that. That's quite the roller coaster of a story and an amazing one of building both building several businesses and you know rising and falling. What were some of the key lessons or things that you took away during you know that whole time of you know kind of up and down, you know building and, and losing a business and maybe building a, a successful career and then having to leave it? you know if you had to distill that into you know maybe, one or two things that were were some of the key takeaways. Like, is there anything that that you kind of pulled away uh, lesson wise from those things? Brace for impact. <laughs> <laughs> you got to brace for impact. My wife and I were both cabin crew, and uh, we would um, practice and rehearse for what's called a ditching situation. It's when the aircraft uh, has to do a crash landing into the ocean. And what you do is just before you uh, hit the water, you scream out to your customers, brace for impact, brace, brace, brace. And, you know, I I think we've been sold a lie, Kyle. Um, People tell you that business is going to be easy. They tell you that you're going to make a six or seven figure business in the first year. They don't tell you about the dark side. They don't tell you about the dirty side. They don't tell you about the nasty side. There's a whole deep, dark, dirty side to business. And it's going to test every cell in your body. It's going to test what you're made of. It's going to stretch your DNA. And we go into business and we are ignorant. We are absolutely ignorant about what it takes to to run a business. And I think that was half the problem for me is uh, when I was running my family business, I was doing the building of the business, but I wasn't doing any of the back end of it. I had never had to touch the money because it was a cash cow. The money was coming in and we just made more of it. And so I didn't have to deal with accounts. I didn't have to deal with paying bills, none of that. So all of a sudden I went, oh my gosh, no wonder my mum was staying up till 10 and 11 o'clock at night. But when you're young, you go to bed, you go out and drink, you go out and party and you don't see the person doing all of that stuff. And so when I got into business, I started to realize that I thought I was going to do what I love, which was coaching just 100% of the time. But then you realize 80% of the things that you do have nothing to do with what you love. And you've got to do all the other things 80% of the time just to get that little 20% of the time to do what you really want to do. But people don't sell you that. They uh, sell you the dopamine. (laughs) They say, you're going to do what you love. It's going to be great. You're going to impact the world. But all of a sudden, there's a whole uh, different side to business. So you've got to brace for impact. And business is going to test you. Uh, All of your fears are going to be tested. You're going to have doubts. You're going to second guess yourself. And then you've got to break through all of your limiting beliefs. 
And all of those things are going to create your glass ceilings. Whether you're in a career right now and you want to start a business, you've got to face these fears and they act as income glass ceilings. People can say, Daniel, I can see what I want, but it's like there's this invisible glass ceiling that I just can't break through. And so when I say brace for impact, we've got to deal with all of that before we get what we want. So we have where we are today, here, there, there, there am I over here on the left, and where I want to be is somewhere out there in the future. But between me and my goal are all my constraints. And 80% of the things that are going to hold us back in life are all internal constraints. 20% of the things that hold us back are external constraints, which can be our competitors. It can be the time of year. It can be the war. It can be the pandemic. But those things we have no control over. So it doesn't matter what we do, we can't change that as an individual. Like I can't uh, change the war in Ukraine as an individual. I can't change the pandemic. So I have no control over that. But those in I have 100% control over. And that's where we've got to focus if we want to become really successful in stepping out of a career and into a business, or even if we just want to accelerate our impact in our career. Right. Building on that, what are some of the ways that you can break through those constraints that you've talked about? And on that same topic, like, what are some of the most common constraints that people put on themselves or or as you're working with uh, individuals and, and, you know, Uh, people in business and careers and a variety of situations. What have you seen are some of those most common constraints? And then what can we do to break out of them and, and stop limiting ourselves with those? All of us are ignorant and we don't know what we don't know. So what we have to be able to do is we have to start by increasing our self-awareness. And that's one of the first and foremost components of emotional intelligence. So what I like to say is if you can't name it, you can't tame it. So we've got to start to have a look at our personality types. We've got to start to have a look at our behavioral types. And there's four silent fears that impact us all. We can't see these fears because they're invisible. And my job with my clients is to make the invisible visible, to show them that this pattern of thought, this pattern of behavior, albeit getting results, it's actually doing you damage. So the first four fears that all career-based people have to overcome and all business people, it's the first fear is the fear of being taken advantage of. This is huge. Now, when I grew up, like I said before, my parents were like, don't employ people. They'll come in, they'll steal your money, they'll take your ideas, and they'll start up in opposition against you. So that fear of being taken advantage of stopped them from employing people. It also stopped them from growing because within their mind, they're like, why would we hire anybody? They're just going to come and learn, steal our ideas, and start up in opposition. We may as well just stay self-employed. Now, that's not a good way to regulate your fears. That's fear avoidance. So I grew up in that environment, but that belief was also passed down onto me because after you're in that environment for you know your first 27 years of your life, that's imprinted upon you. And all of a sudden, I've carried a belief that doesn't support the growth of a business, that doesn't allow you to achieve your goals and possibly impact a million lives. So we're going to become aware of these fears. And the first one for all people is a fear of being taken advantage of. Now, people might say, well, Daniel, I um, I don't own a business. Well, that fear will still impact you because what will happen is in your career, you'll want to seek a leadership position. 
and as a leader, you have to delegate work. And silently, this fear sabotages success because the leader says, what if I delegate and then somebody makes a mistake? We get back to the same problem that my parents had. Do it all yourself. Do everything yourself. Don't trust anybody. So we've got to deal with that. Yep. The second silent fear is a fear of rejection. Now, a lot of people say, I have no fear of rejection. Well, let me ask you, do you have what you want? Now, most of us don't have what we want. We think we have what we want, but what we want is out there in the future, and it's normally two and three times bigger than what we have now. How much are you earning? The question's, uh, I'm earning this much. Do you want more? Yes, I want more. But to get more, we have to start to ask for more. And what prevents people from asking for more money is a fear of rejection. They're like, I don't want to ask the boss for more money. What if he says no? What if he comes back and says, uh, yes, but I want you to work another 100 hours a month? <laughs> I don't want to go through that. I just want the money. Now, in sales, the number one fear that salespeople have is a fear of rejection. And it stops them from asking for the sale. They go out and present. That's not the problem. They go through the needs analysis. That's not the problem. They present solutions. But when it comes to asking the order, they don't want to hear no, which triggers rejection. So for us to sell more, we have to deal with that fear of rejection. We also have to speak more about what we do, and we're going to start to speak to more people. And that's that influence component. See, in America... Uh, and, and in Australia, people would rather die than stand up and do public speaking. It's not that they can't speak. We talk from the day we're born, blah, blah, blah. We cry. <laughs> we get attention. But public speaking requires you to face rejection, criticism. And what do people hate? And they talk about it in the Bible all the time. <laughs> Judgment. So we'd get past that. The third silent fear is losing our stability. And we've really seen this throughout COVID and the pandemic. And people are so afraid of losing their financial stability. And the reason why that is, is that the true definition of uh, financial freedom is to never have to worry about money again. However, people worry about money all the time. As I mentioned before, my parents were like, money doesn't grow on trees. It's okay because they work for the government and they're going to have a pension for life. But for us over here... My parents were always worried about money. And that fear doesn't make you work harder. It often makes you step back. And instead of trying to earn more money, you try to ask yourself, well, how can I reduce my expenses? What can I go without? Instead of wearing the nice Calvin Klein underwear, what's the cheapest ones that I can wear so I can keep my costs low? So people fear losing their financial stability. And in Asia, we call that having our rice bowl taken away from us. So people often have only 30 days of savings. So if they don't get paid, then in 30 days from now, they'll be broke. And that rule is true for high net worth individuals. People who are earning more than $250,000 per year will be broke within 30 days if they don't get another paycheck. So it's that fear of losing our financial stability. And the true definition for financial stability is being able to survive without an income for 20 years. So think about it. You get to retirement age, we'll call it 60. You have to live for another 20 years. But how many people can actually do that? Well, the numbers show us that only 1% or 1 out of 100 people will ever become wealthy. 
5% will achieve financial freedom and the other 94% will have to live on handouts off their families or they'll be broke. So that's a big fear. The fourth and final one, which I think a lot of people will resonate, is the fear of trying and failing. So many people are so afraid to try something new just in case it doesn't work. What if I go out and attempt a business and it doesn't work and then I can't get my old job back? That's a big fear. So instead of pursuing their goals, they become so focused on having a fear of not knowing enough. And this fear of not knowing enough drives them to learn. And so what they do is they go from podcast to podcast like this one and they listen to it for the next <laughs> nugget of gold. They read the next best-selling book from cover to cover. They go to the online seminars. They go to live events. But they're always in this learning cycle and they never apply it. And the reason why they don't apply it is because they have a fear of not knowing enough. And that leads to perfectionism. And they say, Kyle, if I can't do it 110% perfect, then I ain't going to do it. And all of us know you can't even do it 101% perfect. You can't even do it 100% perfect. So you can break Wall Street if you just get your trade correct 51% of the time. And that's one of the stories that we've been told in business that it's got to be perfect. Business doesn't have to be perfect. There's people out there making a billion dollars a year and they'd be lucky to get it right 60% of the time. But they know if you can just get it 51% of the time right, then you can make a ton of money. So they're the big four fears. That is, I think that's really helpful uh, in being able to identify what those fears are. Like you said, the fear of being taken advantage of, trusting, the fear of rejection and judgment, the fear of the loss of stability and the fear of failure, which I think really resonate just on so many levels, um, you know, depending on, on where you are, whether that's starting out, whether that's building a career, whether that's starting a business, all of those are re reflected in so many different ways, both in a career, in a business, or in so many other pursuits uh, that you can almost be paralyzed by any of those or a combination of them to, to not do something. So with that, what have been uh, some of the things that can help people overcome that? And, and what have been some of the results of you helping people overcome some of those fears in order to kind of take the next steps and actually do something as opposed to, to you know, be caught, like you said, in this cycle of either learning or cycle of not doing or cycle of just kind of uh, leaving things for the future. Well, I believe that a million people woke up this morning feeling stuck and not knowing what to do next. And the first thing is you have to have a level of acceptance. You have to say, this fear is impacting me. But if you get stuck in denial and you put your head in the sand, you say, everything's fine. I, I don't fear rejection. I don't fear criticism. I don't fear losing my stability. Then you're in denial. All of us go through it and we've got to face it consistently through our life. You're going to face it uh, in your relationships. You know, a lot of people who are looking for love right now say, I want a relationship, but I don't want to give up my current lifestyle. It's a conflict. You've got to face that fear. It's the fear that's the problem. The relationships always, there's 7 billion people on the planet. <laughs> you know, they say there's one person for everyone. No, 
there's like 10, there's 10 people for you. <laughs> and we have this experience, you know, we find love at school. We find love after school. We find love in the workplace. <laughs> Sometimes we find ourselves in love with other people who are already in love. So, you know, we've got to get past those fears and we've all had it before. I remember growing up and I'd see uh, a hot girl and I'd be like, gee, I want to talk to her. But the fear kicks in. You're like, why would she want to talk to me? Be a hundred other guys that she could speak to. There's got to be a taller guy. There's got to be a musclier guy. There's got to be a richer guy. And out of fear, you say, ah, it's too much hard work. I won't do it. So what we have to do, we have to face our fears. So in the pandemic, a lot of people had all these fears triggered off. And one young woman, she came to me and she said, Daniel, I want to become a trader. I want to trade currency. I want to trade Bitcoin. And I said, well, what are you doing now? She said, I'm a real estate agent. And I said, well, are you successful? And she said, no, my business has collapsed because of COVID. And I said, what do you want to do? She said, I want to be a successful real estate agent. And I said, well, why are you getting involved in crypto and Bitcoin? Oh, well, I want to, um, I want to increase my income. Now, what happens is when our incomes drop, we go into what's called a scrambling behavior. Now, a lot of people say, well, my income's dropped. I'm going to go and drive uh, Uber on the weekends. But they go out and they just find a way to get their income back up to where it was before. Mm -hmm. But driving Uber, albeit it's a short-term solution, it's not going to provide you that financial freedom. Uh, driving Uber is not going to increase your knowledge base. It's not going to improve your skills in your career. You might become a better driver. <laughs> Unless you're a professional driver, it's not going to uh, improve your career. So I said, you're distracting yourself. You want to become a successful real estate agent, and that's over there. You know, your compass for that has got to uh, point north, but you're getting involved in something that's going to distract you and take you further away, and that points your compass south, and you're going the wrong way. She's like, oh, but I need the money. I said, that's a temporary fix. You've got a business already. But every time that you spend three and four hours over here trying to make a little bit of money on crypto, your business is losing hundreds of thousands. Now, because she was in that state of fear and she had frozen, she couldn't see it. So I got her back on the path. We started to face these fears. We started to face these doubts. And there was a lot of doubts. It was like, I can't succeed because I'm female. Now, imagine that. She has one limiting belief, one doubt. I can't succeed because I'm female. That belief was sabotaging her entire success. She could not see a way to build her business because of that limiting belief. So she got distracted. Another belief, she said, people don't follow my instructions. So as a leader, she couldn't see herself commanding the respect of other people. So she had convinced herself that people won't follow my instructions. So what did she do? She stopped leading her team. And then those people want leadership. And the latest statistics show that 50% of employees will fire the leader before they fire the company. So these people started to leave. And it all became this self-fulfilling prophecy that I can't succeed. People won't follow my instructions. So we stripped away that belief. We got a refocused. We got clear set goals that were attainable. And a lot of people are talking about these 10x goals, big, hairy, audacious goals. No, your unconscious mind only changes incrementally. If you have a goal that's too big, your unconscious mind, which is your goal getter, says, that's too big. I've only ever earned $100,000 a year. I can't comprehend 
$10 million a year. It's impossible. <laughs> so we start to set realistic goals. And when you set realistic goals and achieve them, you feel good. Your body releases dopamine. It releases adrenaline. It releases serotonin. And these are the natural drugs you need in your system to get you moving forward. So she started to have small wins. Month after month after month, she put all of her attention on her business. Within 12 months, she had done a full turnaround, a full turnaround in her business. She didn't get caught up in crypto. She didn't get caught up in trading. She put all of her attention on her business. And today, she has one of the top 100 fast growth companies in Malaysia. She has been recognized as one of the top CEOs and leaders. She's bought a new car. She's bought a new house. She's got investment properties. She's just launched her brand new office, and she has a team of about 35 people working for her. Same woman, same industry, killing it just without the fears. And that was right in the middle of the pandemic. And people say, oh, Daniel, that's by luck. No, it's not by luck. It was by design. Another young woman, she had lost her way. She didn't know how to communicate with her boss. She couldn't influence and persuade her customers. Her sales rapidly dropped. However, she thought it was COVID. It had nothing to do with COVID. We can control two things, Kyle. And I mentioned this before. 80% of the things that hold us back are within us. 20% are the external constraints we can't control. We can control our attitude which is of our angle of approach. And we can also control our level of action. We control the action. We control how many times we pick up the phone. We control what comes out of our mouth. Another young woman, she had made 138 million ringgits in new sales. So that's probably around about 35,000 million US dollars in sales because she started to overcome those fears put her attention in the right place, and do what was necessary for success. By the end of it, she said, Daniel, I've made so much money for this company that Microsoft has headhunted me. And they, she said, by the end of the pandemic, I am now working for an executive role in Microsoft because I've made so much money for their competitor. <laughs> and what did she change? She just changed her attitude, which is that angle of approach, our attitudes, our mindset. Those are some amazing stories on, you know, first off, changing, really accepting the, the fear rather than denying it, and then changing how we approach the, the things that we're afraid of. And, and that involves our attitude and the action that we take in order to address it. Are there other things that you found to be helpful in, in kind of overcoming uh, fears or, or things that kind of get in the way of success? The hardest thing for people to change is their environment. The environment is the hardest thing to change. And it was like when I was working with my family business, my parents had their own beliefs and that was fine for them. But every time I stepped into that environment, I was also acted by their belief system. Now they're successful. They've retired and they never have to work again. It worked for them. But those beliefs were reinforced every time I went back into that business. And after 17 years in their business, they said to me and my brother, do you want to take over this business? We'll give it to you. It's a great business now. You can have it and you can run with it. And I said, no, thank you. <laughs> because that environment wasn't going to help me achieve my bigger goals. 
So what's in your environment? Well, when I was in real estate, I worked in an environment where I had a very negative secretary. And every time I walked in, she just dumped her negativity on me. And she'd always be saying, every dog has its day. And I just had to hear this BS every single day. But I couldn't get her out of the office. She was there. She was like the furniture. She was going to stay. And I knew that if I stayed in that environment, I'd eventually become like her. And this is what tends to happen. We absorb other people's attitudes and beliefs. So luckily, uh, my boss was ambitious and he started another office. And as soon as he said, I'm starting a new office, I put my hand up and said, I'm out of here. I'm going to go to your new office. And the interesting thing was, as soon as I went to that new office, I was in a new environment. It was like I had a sea change. And I got there and my sales results doubled just because I was in a different environment. So you could be the perfect person, you could have the perfect skill, you could have the perfect knowledge, you could have the right attitude. But if you're not in an environment that supports your growth, then you're going to be capped. And we call this in leadership, it's called the law of the lid, the law of the lid. And what the scientists did, they took some fleas You know, um, sometimes our dog gets these fleas. They got the fleas off the dog's back. They put them in a jar and they put a lid on the jar. Now, what you might not know about a flea is a flea can jump more than a thousand times its own body height. And so these fleas are jumping up and down, jumping up and down, jumping up and down in this jar. And every time they jump up, they hit their head on the lid and they're jumping up and down. And then eventually one day the scientists took off the lid of the jar and they watched what the fleas would do. The fleas, because their conditioning of the environment, jumped up and down. They could have jumped out of the jar, but because of the conditioning, they only ever jumped up to the level of the lid. And so what this really says is that your environment is going to impact how high you can climb in your career. So if you have a leader who doesn't support you unconditionally, you've got to get out of that environment. If the business doesn't support you unconditionally, you've got to get out of that environment. And I worked for a very good boss when I was in real estate. And he said, Daniel, you've got what it takes. He said, you can be, do and have anything that you want in your life. And I'm going to help you get there. And within six months, he invested in real estate with me. He said, I'm going to help you buy your first investment property. So with my first boss, imagine that the boss is like, (laughs) we're going to go into business together and I'm going to help you buy your first investment property. He said, but there's no conditions. At any time that you want out of the deal, you can leave at any time. He said, even if you outgrow your job here, you can leave at any time. And after about three years, I went and knocked on his door and said, boss, um, I'm out of here. I said, I want to go see the world. And he said, go for it. Not like, can you stay for another month? Can you stay for another year? He said, you're a free man. You go and do whatever you want. And he only ever unconditionally supported me. And so you didn't cap it. So you've got to get yourself into the right environment. So think about a farmer. You can have the right seed, but if you plant it in the wrong soil, it'll never grow. If you plant it in the right soil and there's not enough water, that seed will never sprout. So you've got to get yourself in the right environment. That's so good. And I think such an important thing that can be really easy to overlook because once you've been in an environment for a while, 
it's one of those things that it almost becomes like you said, the, you know, the water that you're swimming in or, or the lid on the jar and you don't necessarily see it anymore. And that can be something that really, really is putting a cap on your growth or your potential. And that a lot of times you just need to change in order to, to start to really reach whatever that full potential is. So that's a really, really important call out. I think you mentioned, uh, influence and the the importance of in of influence both you know in, in this and and you talk about it on on your site and and uh, with the people that you work with you know why is influence uh, so important and and how can we improve like our ability to influence especially in our work and in our careers and and just generally I love this topic I love it you know if you haven't watched it yet You've got to watch uh, a movie called When Harry Met Sally. And in the movie When Harry Met Sally, uh, Sally's having an orgasm. She's pretending to have an orgasm in a restaurant. And she's pretending to have this orgasm. And the other women in the restaurant turn around and say, I want what she's having. (laughs) It's the best clip. So if you haven't seen it on YouTube, just type in uh, When Harry Met Sally restaurant and you'll see it and you'll understand what I mean. You know, if you're in your 40s, you've probably seen the movies. If you're 20 or below, you might not have seen it yet. But what happens is with influence, people look at you and within four seconds, they're making a judgment about you. And we have what's called a cognitive bias. So somebody looks at you and they make a decision about you in four seconds. And then with this confirmation bias over the next 30 seconds, they just reinforce what they saw in the first four seconds. So in today's world, people are impacted not by what you say, but what you do. So people are always watching what you do. And when they look at you and go, wow, that person's got it going on. That person is a great influencer. They're a great persuader. That person's setting, achieving their goals. That person's climbing the ladder. That person's getting results. That person is a product of their product. People look at you and say, I want your having. So the perfect example, many years ago, uh, 2016 and 2017, I was uh, doing a lot of business flying backwards and forwards from the United Kingdom. And this lady reached out to me and she said, hey, Daniel, um, would you be interested in learning about how to lose weight and gain more muscle? (laughs) Absolutely. I'm a man. I want to lose weight. I want to look more muscly. I said, yeah, what do I do? She said, jump on a Zoom call. So I got on a Zoom call and she started to talk to me about this health shake that she had and that you could drink this shake twice a day. You could uh, lose uh, fat and you could put on lean muscle. And she was telling me about all these benefits, about all the results, about all the studies. And I looked at her and I went, you're selling this weight loss product. I'm saying this in my head. You're selling this weight loss product, yet you're going to be 30 or 40 kilos overweight yourself. And my bullshit detector's going, (laughs) this is not right. And she did a great presentation. And I asked her the obvious question, which everybody would ask, is it working for you? And she looked at me. And the energy dropped out of her eyes. The smile disappeared. And she said, no, it's not working for me. And I said, why not? She said, I'd never buy this. It's way too expensive. I can't afford that. (laughs) I burst out laughing. I'm like, thank you so much for your honesty. And I said, how are you going with your business? And she said, I'm making no sales. 
and I said, have you ever thought about using the product yourself? Because when I sit here, you do a great presentation, but I look at you and, and I say, it's not working for you. And if it if you are using it, it looks like you're putting on weight. And she said, yeah, no, I can't afford to use it. And um, I said, well, I'm sorry, I can't buy it. Logically, I can't buy it because she's overweight and I she's selling weight loss, but it's not working for her. So I met another person selling the exact same product, yet this guy was his ideal body weight. He was the same age as me. He looked fit and handsome. And I looked at him and I said, is it working for you? And he said, absolutely. And I said, give it to me. And I bought a year's supply. And it comes back to that when Harry met Sally modeler selling. If it's working for you, people will say, I want what you're having. They don't care about the price. <laughs> they just want it because it's working for you. And we are in the day of the influencer. Influencers often have more followers and more influence than celebrities today. You know, we used to tune into the television. Now we tune into Facebook pages. We tune into websites. We tune into Instagram pages and profiles. We're moving away from celebrity because people don't trust celebrities anymore. Oh, celebrity, you're getting paid a million dollars to promote that product. Of course you can say it's good. But the influencer over here will tell you what's good and bad about it. Like when I bought my microphone, and we spoke about microphones yeah. before, I didn't go to the website. Why didn't I go to the website? Because they're going to tell me all the good stuff about it. I want a balanced opinion. And when you go to the influencer, they'll give you a balanced opinion. They're not here to say buy it. They're here to say, this is my experience. It's either working or it's not. So the day the influencer is here, and we've got to become more influential, and the way we do that is through that when Harry met Sally model of selling what she's having now that is uh that is so good and it's it's got to be working for us in some way and that makes uh so much sense imagine uh, this kyle imagine you're buying a new car and you go down to the ford dealership and the salesman tells you about all the benefits the results the improvements the technology the solutions that this ford can give you Yet you walk outside and he drives away in a Toyota. <laughs> You're gonna feel ripped off. You're like, that dude just told me all this stuff, yet he's driving a Toyota. Yep. Why isn't he using his own product? And I used to work uh, for Chrysler uh, Jeep Dodge Automotive in the Middle East. And the first thing they wanted you to do was to use their product. Yep. They wanted you to be sold on the product. But if you weren't, it was almost impossible because of our own ethics to sell something that we wouldn't use ourselves. Yep. So we've got to be careful. Now that's that's something, especially within the technology industry, uh, just really, really like dogfooding your own product to the point of you, you use it and you you have to be a, a a power user of it and you have to know all the good and bad. And that's can be both a good and bad thing where, you know, it's, it's difficult to be a, a, an unbiased, well, it's difficult to be a salesperson of it because, you know, you know, the warts and everything of it. But like you said, that's what people really are looking for, not to be sold on it only on its benefits, but to understand deep down what something is, which is like you said, how I buy things too. Like I don't, I don't want to just, you know, be sold on here's all of the the beautiful things about it, but I want to see side by side comparison of these three microphones and you know, what is good and bad about all of them. And then I can make it a, a decision 
based on that sort of thing. And I feel like that's how I do everything. It's like, I need, I need to know all of the things and then I can make an informed decision. And, and that's how, it's like you said, that's how influence is created is through that kind of deep understanding and then offering it what's working to other people so they can kind of get that same level of benefit, but also that same level of understanding that, that you're demonstrating as well. People, people hate to be sold to. Yeah. Somebody reached out to me via Facebook the other day. They said, um, can I show you my sales pitch? I'm like, I don't want to be pitched to. Like, ask me about my problems and offer me a solution and, and I'm all ears. But don't try to pitch me. It's like this 30-second elevator pitch. Who wants to be pitched for 30 seconds in an elevator? I've never met somebody who says, hey, pitch me. No, in selling today, we're moving away from pushing things down people's throats to becoming consultants. And consultants do three things. They do an examination, they do a diagnosis, and then they offer a prescription. And we've got to follow this because this is what doctors do. And in the field of medicine, we say malpractice is prescription before diagnosis. And this is what people are doing today. To have this product, they shove it down your throat. They're giving you the prescription. Be like if you went to a doctor and he said, well, thanks, Carl, for coming to your um, the appointment today. Uh, here's some pills. Take them. You'd be like, yeah. pills? Take them? Yep, just take these pills. Everybody who has a beard and looks like you takes these pills. You'd be like, but you haven't even asked me what's wrong with me. Well, this is really good for stomach cancer. I'm not here about my stomach. I'm here about an ingrown hair or an ingrown toenail. Well, just take these pills and see how you go. What you do, you'd probably slap the doctor and walk out. You'd be like, I ain't taking those pills. I don't know what's in them. And so that's prescription before diagnosis. So what a doctor does, an ethical doctor, he sits you down and says, well, thanks for being here today. What seems to be the problem? And he checks your vital signs. Does it hurt here? How's your, how's your temperature? How's your breathing? How's your blood pressure? And he checks all the vital signs. And then he does an examination. The doctor, or him or her, they'll send you to pathology. Go for an x-ray. Go for a blood test. Go for an MRI. Go for a CAT scan. And after they get all those results, you sit down together and you discuss what you found. Well, during the examination, we discovered this, Kyle. Is this a problem? Well, it's not a problem. Okay, well, let's not go there. Is this a problem? Yes, that's a problem. Okay, well, let's talk about what we can do to solve that problem. And then together with the doctor, you then come up with a course of medicine, and then he offers you a prescription. And most of the time when you go to the doctor, for me, almost nine out of 10 times, if the doctor consults me, at the end, I'll take his medicine because I'll say, well, based on all the questions, based on my self-discovery, this seems like the right solution for me. And that's where we've got to get to, examination, diagnosis, prescription, and that's how we sell consultatively. If you do that, this is also the way people buy. See, there's a sales psychology and there's a buying psychology. And the reason why people don't make enough sales is because they're trying to sell incorrectly. You have to sell the way people like to buy. How do they like to buy? Ask me questions about my situation. Talk to me and don't try to shove something down my neck. And then offer me some different solutions in different price ranges with a result that is slightly different. And then I'll decide based on my budget, based on my time, what's the best for me in my circumstances. And nine out of 10 times, you'll make a sale.
And then what they'll do is they'll refer their friends to you and say, this person, they won't try to sell you anything. They'll just try to help you solve a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how we succeed. Yeah. That's definitely what the best companies and best products and best things are doing is ultimately solving a problem. And there, like you said before, there's almost no end to what we will pay to solve a problem. Whereas we don't want to pay for just things that we don't necessarily need. But if it's going to solve a real problem for us and we know it's going to work, then that's the sort of thing that it almost doesn't matter what it costs. We need that. And I ain't paying $15,000 for an operation. I ain't paying that $15,000 for one day in theater. That's ridiculous. But I'll spend a million dollars to live forever. (laughs) (laughs) I am curious how the pandemic has changed the way that that you've worked both in uh, your coaching. So you were, you were doing, you know, business coaching before and, and you're continuing to do it. How has that changed the way that, that you do your work and and the way that uh, people are both interacting with you and, and interacting, you know, with each other over the last couple of years? In 2013, I started to run my business online. And um, like a lot of people my age, I think we read the book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and we were going to escape the nine to five. And so I started to work online, but the marketplace wasn't buying online. So people would say, how can you do coaching via the internet? You know, this is Australians. How can you do coaching via the internet? Don't I have to see you face to face? So I spent a whole year trying to build my business. And I went broke because uh, nobody was buying my product online and I didn't know enough about this. So one of the things when you're building a business and you're looking at your products, you got to look at your price. you got to look at your promotions. you got to look at your packaging. you got to look at your delivery of it. And for me, people wanted my service, but the delivery method was they wanted it face-to-face. So how I solved that problem was flying around the world. And I would be spending about six months of the year away from my family. And it was draining. It was taxing. Um, I didn't get to have those nice, enjoyable moments with my daughter as she grew up and my wife. And then in 2017, you know, I'm still flying around the world trying to solve this problem. And people were saying, I'll buy online, but I want delivery face to face. So my son was going to be born in May 2017. And I said to my wife, I said, I'm sick of this. Um, literally, I'm sick of this. Uh, I go to the United Kingdom and I come back and I'm sick for three weeks. I go to Australia, I don't see you and the kids for a month at a time. I come back and because of jet lag and time zone problems, I get sick for two weeks. And so I was finding that I was losing at least six to uh, nine weeks every year in illness. And I said, this has got to stop. So I hired a coach and he said, "Uh, Daniel, you know, you got a great goal here, but I don't know how you're going to achieve it. He said, have you considered doing something else? Now, um, this comes from a person who, if I mention his name, everybody would know him, one of the top <laughs> consultants in the world. And I didn't want to hear that because I knew that the internet was the way forward. But he said, I don't know how you're going to achieve these goals. And I tried and tried and it didn't work. So I made the decision that um, based on his advice, 
that yes, I'd have to move back to Australia. So I was flying backwards and forwards to Australia, building my business in Australia. 2019, I just had my highest income earning year and my highest income earning hour as a consultant. And I said to my wife, if we want to make these uh, big dollars, we're going to go back to Australia. But I didn't want to. And I hated the thought of having to go back to Australia because I wanted to do it online. And thank God for the pandemic. <laughs> pandemic came in at 2020. And I was uh, in Malaysia doing a seminar to 350 clients in Malaysia. And the day that I left Malaysia, the world shut down. And literally, I flew into Taiwan and got through customs within about 30 minutes of them shutting down the border. And I haven't left the island here for almost two and a half years. So during that time, um, it was hell for me because I owned a franchise business and it was a physical-based training business in Australia. So um, I had to exit my franchise and lose all of my investment that I'd been putting into that for years. Also, I could no longer be a company director, so I had to shut down my company. So I lost a business and I lost a company because of the pandemic. And it was literally nothing that I had done, like one of these constraints. I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't leave where I am now because if I left here to go back to Australia and the border was shut for a year and a half, almost two years, I wouldn't have seen my family. So I had to lose it all and then I had to rebuild. But because of the pandemic, I was able to achieve what I started and I set out to achieve back in 2013. My business runs online. And you know what my clients say, Kyle? They say, Daniel, uh, do you deliver online? Because we don't want to do face-to-face -face meetings. And I say, yes, <laughs> thank God for the pandemic. So it's really given me the opportunity. And I, I say to my wife, I said, maybe I created this pandemic. <laughs> because <laughs> now I can have my business online. And uh, I got exactly what I wanted. Uh, I deliver trainings live. Um, I can do bigger events now. So last year, we had uh, one event where I had 1,300 people in one event. And it was so easy because, Kyle, I got up at 7 o'clock in the morning. I fed my babies. I walked my daughter to school. I came back. Uh, I was wearing my Birkenstocks. I was wearing my football shorts. I had my black T-shirt on, and I trained 1,300 people. And then uh, at 12 o'clock, I went out and I had uh, lunch with my wife, came back in. <laughs> Kids come home at 5 o'clock, and I didn't have to travel. So COVID for me has been a blessing and it answered my prayers. Yeah, that it's funny because I too had been pushing for much, much more online and work from home for for several years. And the acceleration of that was significant during the pandemic, obviously. And fortunately, uh, for I think for for many people, doing similar work. Uh, going back to an office probably is not something that many of us are going to be doing um, for for quite some time. And even when it becomes maybe more normal, it's probably even less likely just given how accustomed everybody is at this point to, to working my, remotely. So yeah. my clients love it. Yeah. My clients love it. Yeah. And, you know, one, one of my clients uh, in Australia they said to me at the start of the pandemic, they said, Daniel, uh, we want to bring you in. We want to get prepared for this. And I, they said, how long do you think it's going to stay around for? And I said, well, you've got to expect that it's going to impact everything for a decade. Uh, I, I survived the um, global financial crisis. I was living in Dubai 
when the financial crisis came, I was working for Emirates Airline and we were a small airline before the global financial crisis. After the financial crisis, we were a bigger airline, but it impacted everything for a decade. So I said, we're going to batten down the hatches. We're going to expect tough times. However, we should also expect that the majority of people aren't going to be prepared. And it comes back to that fearing of losing stability. Most people will cut their expenses before they consider increasing their income. How can we turn the lights off? How can we turn the heating down? How can we go without? How, how can we do it from home and reduce all the costs? And I said, well, this is what's going to happen in the marketplace. We made some predictions. And then I said, there's two things we can do. We can control our attitude and our actions. Let the world do what the world's going to do. We'll focus on what we can do. So they applied the strategies. They called me back exactly a year later and they said, Daniel, they said, we've got a problem. And I said, what's the problem? They said, well, the pandemic's been. And I said, how do you mean? They said, well, we made an extra $2 million (laughs) and we've run out of supplies. They said, we have been making um, more than 6,000 outbound calls per month in an industry that historically has 600 calls. And they said, we're making these calls nonstop. We can see our competitors. They're not making calls and we're snapping up all the business. So they're growing and other people are scratching their head saying, how are they doing that? Well, the answer is they did two things. They controlled their attitude. They said, well, we can control what we can control and everything else is out of control. So let's just make telephone calls. And their business grew. And people said, oh, that's just a one-off. It's not a one-off. I've got another company. They grew from 17 employees to 30 people. I've got another company that was doing you know, $100,000 months that are now doing $500,000 months. Same product, same service, bigger team, but they controlled two things, their attitude and their action. So for the people who were prepared, this has been a phenomenal time. I think we're, you know, globally, we can see it. There's self-made millionaires everywhere because of the pandemic. Before, people, you know, didn't care about sanitizer, hand sanitizer. Now there's these multi-million dollar companies selling sanitizer. Companies that were selling face masks to the medical market only had a very small portion of the world's population buying masks. Now, all of a sudden, the whole world's their customer. A lot of companies failed, but the ones who were ready, then they capitalized on it and good for them. Absolutely. Uh, Daniel, this has been an amazing conversation. Do you have, I guess, anything else that you wanted to to add or to let listeners know uh, before we kind of wrap things up? There's one product that changed my life and it was in 2016 and I was trying to understand who I was. I was trying to understand why I think and feel the way that I do. And I met a psychologist, one of the top workplace psychologists in America, and she introduced me to what's called behavioral assessments. And I took one of these behavioral assessments and I read through the report and I was shocked at what I found. Everything that I thought about myself was now confirmed with this piece of science. And this uh, PhD, this doctor, took me through the report and helped me understand how my personality helped me achieve my goals and how it prevented me from achieving other goals. Showed me how my personality type helped me and also hindered me. And I was shocked because there was things in there that I considered a weakness that were actually a strength. And I looked at this uh, piece of technology and I said, I want this for my people. And so I quickly got this technology and I put it in the hands of all of my customers. And this one piece of technology started to improve my 
clients' careers and their businesses. We're able to eliminate bad hires in their business. And I got so addicted to this technology that today I've uh, produced more than 6,500 scientific case studies in emotional intelligence. And I was so happy that I used it, that I wanted it for my family. I had my mum use it. I had my wife use it. My daughters used it. I've got my cousins using it. I've got my friends using it. And I was so passionate about this piece of technology. So that was in 2016. Today, I have more than 6,500 case studies. And I was working with one of the leading doctors at one of the top universities in Malaysia. And he said to me, he said, Daniel, I have taken 117 personality profiles to try to discover why I think and feel the way that I do. Trying to figure out who am I, trying to know myself. And he said, this technology, he said, with one report, and you stepping me through it. He says, I've learned more about myself from this one report than all the 117 combined. And so knowing myself and improving my levels of emotional intelligence have given me that ability to rise really quickly in my field. And that's what's accelerated my impact from virtually being unknown to realizing what I thought were weaknesses were actually strengths. And I started to use them and I started to get that influence. I started to get noticed from other people. And I remember 2016, uh, I I increased my sales by something like (laughs) $240,000 just because I had this new level of awareness. So that was exciting for me. That is, that's absolutely amazing. Really comes down to kind of like you, you mentioned, as part of emotional intelligence, understanding yourself and then being able to take that and apply it to what can make you better and uh, more motivated and more ad- adaptable to to the things that you're trying to achieve and trying to to get in your life so that is that is great where can people find out either more about that or more about the things that you are are working on come to my website which is unleashedmasterclass.com Every Monday here in Taiwan, it's normally Monday, uh, Sunday night or early Monday morning uh, in the States, is I run a free masterclass. And the purpose of the masterclass is to help my people break through negativity, to break through low self-esteem so they can start to smash their goals faster. And we have this topic of conversation that most people don't have with their friends. What fears hold you back? Now, I shared four of those fears today. There's another four, and I unpack those on the masterclass. There's also three big doubts that as adults really impact our performance and prevent us from getting the career success we desire. There's also a series of limiting beliefs that once we start to become aware of, and I mentioned it before, if we can't name it, we can't tame it. So we talk about these limiting beliefs that are impacting our performance. And that's the purpose of the webinar. It's to have this improvement in emotional intelligence, to understand what's exactly holding us back. See, a lot of people, they can spend a whole year trying to improve themselves, but they might be working on the wrong thing. And then a year later, it feels like they've gone around in a full circle and they go, I'm still stuck. And so what I've learned is that fully 85% of our success comes down to our attitude. It comes down to our mindset. And this is what's a big frustrator, Cole. People spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on their education, yet education doesn't predict success. They reskill every single year, but they still get stuck in their career and they don't get the promotions that they're looking for. 
And then what adds um, insult to injury is to see somebody younger than you making more money than you, is to see somebody get promoted faster than you when they know less or have less experience than you. And it's those things that really hold us back. It's those fears, the doubts, and limiting beliefs. And we seek to eliminate those at the Unleashed Masterclass. So the website is Unleashed Masterclass, and it's a live training I hold every Monday. Okay, that is awesome. We'll put the link in the show notes as well, so you can check that out. And Daniel, thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, This has been a a really, really great conversation. And I expect that 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 webinar is... uh, is also I'll have to check that out. Probably a deeper dive into some of the topics that that we've we've discussed here. Before we let you go, we like to to kind of wrap things up with uh, you know two final questions. First off, is there anything that you've read or watched recently that uh, you found interesting uh, and you'd like to share? I think I've got <laughs> the smallest television in the world. <laughs> you know, what I like to watch is I like to watch the news. And the reason why I like to watch the news is because I'm trying to understand the world (laughs) through this 30-inch screen. And I think there's so much interesting things happening in the world today that I like to watch the news, but I like to watch all the news channel so I can form my own opinion. And the reason why I watch the news is because it gives me an insight inside people's lives and what's happening into their struggles. And then that helps me generate new topics of conversation with my audience. And because of COVID, um, you know, we've been stuck on the island here for two and a half years. I haven't experienced the world. Um, You know, with cases here in Taiwan, you know, my life has been, I wake up in the morning, I roll out of bed, I come to my office, uh, we'll go out for dinner at nighttime, I'll come back. So for the past two and a half years, it's been very hard to understand the outside world. Now, before COVID, I wouldn't have watched the news but now uh, I have access to global television. I'll just watch the news. And it's fascinating to see how people report on the same topic, but they'll give you a totally different story. (laughs) So it helps me understand the world and it helps me predict challenges that my clients are going to face. And over the last couple of years, I've been able to predict big challenges for my clients and save them millions of dollars. So (laughs) although you've got to be careful what you watch, uh, on the television, you've got to remember that all news is propaganda. It's PR. So you've got to form your own decisions. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. And final question. Uh, is there any any products uh, that you have been using lately that you're either, either enjoying or not enjoying? So you want to give a, a shout out or a, a gripe to anything that, uh, that you've used recently? Well, because of COVID, I've been able to do all of my trainings uh, from my home office. So I went out and bought these two big 49-inch monitors. So in front of me, I've got two 49-inch curved monitors. They have been an absolute blessing because I can train up to 1,300 people at a time. But the thing that's made my life really easy is what I what's called a Rodecaster Pro. And it's like a stream deck, and it helps me mix my audio and my microphone, and it's enabled me to get really creative. So one of my passions is hypnosis, and I do a lot of hypnotic interventions. And I've hypnotized a 1,000 people at a time. So at a click of a button, I can put a hypnotic soundtrack on here connected to my microphone, and I can do hypnotic inductions at any given moment. So where before that would have taken so much logistics at a live event, 
because I couldn't control the music myself. But now at the touch of a button, I can bring up my hypnotic soundtrack, do a voiceover and hypnotize a group of a thousand people. It's the best investment. And through COVID, I have created probably in excess of six or 700 audio tracks for training or and about six or 700 videos. So my YouTube channel has now more than 1,700 videos and I've been able to produce high quality because of this Roadcaster Pro. I love it. Best investment. Yeah. Yep. No, that's a good one. Uh, Roadcaster Pro, uh, super, super nice. Awesome. Well, Daniel, again, it has been an absolute pleasure talking. Um, we could, I'm sure we could probably dive into any of these topics and continue this for at least another couple hours, but appreciate you sharing some of your experience and insight into overcoming fears and, and increasing influence and, and how we can go about those things. So thank you again for joining and we will put the links to, uh, to your site and uh, some of those other things in the show notes. So check those out. And Daniel, thank you again. Anytime. Let's do it again. All right. We definitely will. And thank you everybody for listening. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter, Product Thinking, at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kyle Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.